Section 5 of On the Nature of Things. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Raven Notation. On the Nature of Things by Lucretius. Translated by John Selby Watson. Book 2, Part 2. But some ignorant persons, in opposition to these opinions, think that the nature of matter cannot, without the will and providence of the gods, be ordered so suitably to human plans and conveniences, as to change the seasons of the year, and to produce the fruits of the earth, and to effect also other things in which the directness of life, divine pleasure, prompts mortals and herself leads them to engage so that they may propagate their kind through the allurement of gratification, lest the race of men should perish. For whose sake, when they imagine that the gods settled all things, they seem in all respects to have departed far from just reasoning. Although I were ignorant what the primary elements of things were, yet this I could venture to assert from a contemplation of the nature of heaven itself, and to demonstrate from many other things that the world was by no means made for us by divine power, although these opinions incur reprehension among the generality of mankind. Which matters, O Memmius, I will make clear to you hereafter. We will now explain what remains to be said concerning the motions of atoms. This is now the place, as I think, in discussing these subjects, to make plain to you that no corporeal substance can, of its own proper force, be borne and advance upwards, lest the particles of flame should deceive you in this matter. For though they are produced upwards, and take increase upwards, yet also the smiling corn and groves have their growth upwards, though all weights, as far as is in them, are borne downwards. Nor when fire springs up to the roofs of houses, and consumes the beams and rafters with a swift flame, is it to be thought that it does so without a compelling force, as is the case, for example, when blood, sent forth from our body, spouts out, springing up on high, and sprinkling abroad a purple stream? Do you not see also, with how strong a force the liquid substance of water repels beams and logs of wood? Do you not observe how, the more we have on any occasion urged them straight downwards and have powerfully pressed them down with great force and with difficulty so the more eagerly the water casts them back and sends them upwards so that they rise up and leap forth with a larger portion of their substance and yet we do not doubt i suppose that these bodies as far as is in them are all borne downwards through empty space thus accordingly Flames must also have the power to rise, when driven up, through the air of heaven, although their own weights, as far as is in them, strive to draw them downwards. Do you not, moreover, see that meteors in the night, flying through the height of heaven, draw long tracks of flame in whatever directions nature has given them a passage? Do you not see shooting stars fall to the earth? The sun, also, from the highest point of the sky, spreads abroad his heat on all sides, and covers the fields with his light. The heat of the sun, therefore, also tends downwards to the earth, 
and you observe likewise the lightnings fly through the oblique showers, the fires, bursting from the clouds, rush sometimes in one way, sometimes in another, and the body of flame falls very frequently to the earth. In reference to these subjects also, we wish you to understand this, that the particles of matter, when they are borne downwards straight through the void of space, do, for the most part, by their own weights, at some time, though at no fixed and determinate time, and at some points, though at no fixed and determinate points, turn aside from the right line, but only so far as you can call the least possible deviation. But unless the atoms were accustomed to decline from the right line, they would all fall straight down, through the void profound, like drops of rain through the air, nor would there have been any contact produced, or any collision generated among the primary elements, and thus nature would never have produced anything. But if, perchance, any one believes that the heavier bodies, as being borne more swiftly, straight through the void of space, might fall from above on the lighter ones, and thus produce concussions, which might give rise to generative movements, he deviates and departs far from just reasoning. For whatsoever bodies fall downwards through the water and the air, they, of necessity, must quicken their motions according to their weights, inasmuch as the dense consistence of water and the subtle substance of the air cannot equally retard every body, but yield sooner to the heavier bodies being overcome by them. But on the contrary, a pure vacuum can afford no resistance to anything, in any place or at any time, but must constantly allow it the free passage which its nature requires, for which reason all bodies, when put into motion, must be equally borne onwards, though not of equal weights, through the unresisting void. The heavier atoms will, therefore, never be able to fall from above on the lighter, nor of themselves produce concussions which may vary the motions by which nature performs her operations. For which cause it must again and again be acknowledged that atoms decline a little from the straight course, though it need not be admitted that they decline more than the least possible space, lest we should seem to imagine oblique motions, and truth should refute that supposition. For this we see to be obvious and manifest, that heavy bodies, as far as depends on themselves, cannot, when they fall from above, advance obliquely, a fact which you may yourself see. But who is there that can see that atoms do not at all turn themselves aside, even in the least, from the straight direction of their course? Further, if all motion is connected and dependent, and a new movement perpetually arises from a former one in a certain order, and, if the primary elements do not produce any commencement of motion by deviating from the straight line to break the laws of fate, so that cause may not follow cause in infinite succession. Whence comes this freedom of will to all animals in the world? Whence, I say, is this liberty of action wrested from the fates, by means of which we go wheresoever inclination leads each of us? Whence is it that we ourselves turn aside and alter our motions, not at any fixed time, nor in any fixed part of space, but just as our mind has prompted us? 
for doubtless in such matters his own will gives a commencement of action to every man and hence motions are diffused through the limbs do you not see also that when the barriers on the race course are set open at a certain instant yet the eager strength of the horses cannot spring forward so suddenly as the inclination itself desires for the whole mass of matter throughout the whole body excited in all the members must be collected and roused simultaneously into action that it may second the desire of the mind in connection with it so that you may see that the commencement of motion is produced from the heart and that the tendency to act proceeds in the first place from the inclination of the mind and is thence spread onwards through the whole body and its members nor is this similar to the case in which we go forwards when impelled by a blow from the great strength and violent compulsion of another person for then it is evident that the whole matter of the entire body moves and is hurried onwards against our consent until the will acting throughout the members has reined it back do you now see therefore that although external force drives along many men that is often drives men along and compels them frequently to go forwards against their will and to be hurried away headlong yet that there is something in our breast which can struggle against and oppose it according to the direction of which also the aggregate of matter within us is at times obliged to be guided throughout our several limbs and members and when driven forward is curbed and sinks down into rest wherefore you must necessarily confess that the same is the case in the seeds of matter and that there is some other cause for motion besides strokes and weight from which this power is innate in them since we see that nothing can be produced from nothing for weight forbids that all effects should be produced by strokes and as if by external force but the circumstance that our mind itself is not influenced merely by internal necessity in performing every action and is not as if under subjection compelled only to bear and suffer this circumstance the slight declination of the primordial atoms causes though it takes place neither in any determinate part of space nor at any determinate time nor was the general body of matter ever more condensed together or on the other hand distributed in parts at greater intervals than it is at present for to that body neither does any increase ever take place nor is any diminution made from it through decay for which reason in whatever motion the atoms of primordial seeds are now in the same motion they were in past time and hereafter will always be moved in a similar manner and whatever things have been wont to be produced will still be produced under like circumstances and will exist and grow and acquire strength as far as has been granted to each by the laws of nature nor can any influence change the sum of things for neither is there any part of space to which any kind of matter can fly off from the whole nor again is there any part from which any new force having arisen there can burst in upon the whole and thus change the entire order of things and alter its movements in these matters it is not at all to be regarded as wonderful why when all the primordial elements of things are in motion yet the whole of things seems to stand in perfect rest 
except whatever individual thing exhibits motion in its own body. For the entire nature of original principles lies far removed from our senses, and beneath them, for which cause, when you cannot see the thing itself, its motions must also hide themselves from your eyes, especially when even many things that we can see nevertheless often conceal their motions from us, as being separated from us by a great distance. For frequently, upon a hill, we may observe a flock of woolly sheep spread about, cropping the rich pasture, wheresoever the grass, gemmed with fresh dew, calls and invites each, while the full-fed lambs sport and frisk about with delight, all which objects, from a distance, appear to us confused, and only a whiteness, as it were, seems to rest upon the green hill. Also, when vast legions fill all the parts of a plain, stirring up the image of war, the gleam of arms then raises itself to the sky, and all the land around glitters with brass, while a sound is excited by the force, beneath the feet of the men, and the neighbouring hills, struck with the noise, re-echo the shouts of the troops to the stars of heaven, and the cavalry, at the same time, swiftly wheel about, and suddenly charge across the plains in the centre, shaking them with their violent onset. All these are distinct objects, and yet there is a certain spot on the high hills whence, if you look down, they seem to rest on the ground as one body, and only a continuous brightness to settle over the field. Attend now, O Memmius, and learn, in the next place, of what nature the primordial elements of things are, and how very different they are in their forms, how they are varied by manifold shapes. Not that a few only are endowed with the like form, for those alike are innumerable, but because, throughout the whole, all are not similar to all, but are varied with great differences. Nor is this wonderful, for since the abundance of them is such that, as I have shown, there is neither any limit nor sum of them, they must not, and cannot, assuredly, be all universally endowed with a like figure and like shape to all others. Besides, consider the human race, and the mute swarms of fishes swimming in the sea, and the abundant herds of cattle and wild beasts, and the various birds which frequent the pleasant places about the waters, upon the banks of rivers, fountains, and lakes, and which, flitting through the trees, traverse the pathless groves, of which select any one you please, in the several kinds, for contemplation, and you will still find that they differ from one another in their forms. Nor, indeed, could the progeny, by any other means, know its mother, or the mother her progeny whereas we see that inferior animals, not less than men, are known to each other. For, on many occasions, a calf, sacrificed at the frankincense-burning altars, falls before the beauteous temples of the gods, pouring forth a warm stream of blood from its breast. But the mother, meanwhile, deprived of her young, wandering through the green forests, leaves traces imprinted on the ground with her cloven feet, surveying all places with her eyes, if anywhere she may discern her lost offspring, and then, standing still, fills the leafy grove with her complaints. She also frequently goes back to look at the stall, penetrated with regret for her calf. Nor are the tender willows, or the grass fresh with dew, 
or any streams gliding level with the top of their banks able to soothe her feelings and drive away her sudden affliction nor can any other forms of calves over the fertile pastures divert her attention or lighten her of her care so perseveringly does she require some shape that is familiar and known to her moreover the tender kids with their tremulous voices know as they plainly indicate their horned dams and sheep distinguish the bleating of the butting lamb and thus as nature requires each hastens invariably to its own milky udder lastly contemplate any sorts of corn and still you will not find the whole of each in its own kind or all the grains of each to have such a mutual resemblance but that some difference will run between their forms and in like manner we see the various sorts of shells paint the lap of the earth where the sea with gentle waves strews the bibulous sand on the winding shore again and again therefore i repeat the primordial atoms of things since they exist in their own nature and are not fashioned to a certain shape by the hand of one artificer must likewise circulate through the universe in certain shapes dissimilar one from another it is very easy for us then by the clear guidance of reason to explain why the flame of lightning passes through the air with much more penetration than our fire which arises from fuel of the earth for you may justly argue that the celestial fire of lightning as being more subtle consists of smaller atoms and therefore flies through diminutive passages which this fire of ours taking its rise from wood and produced by torches cannot enter besides light passes through horn but water is repelled by it why unless that the atoms of light are less than those of which the genial liquid of water consists wine also we observe to flow as quickly as possible through a strainer but thick oil on the contrary moves through it slowly because as it appears the latter either consists of larger atoms or of such as are more hooked and involved with one another and thus it happens that the individual atoms not being so quickly detached from their coherence with each other cannot so easily pass through the individual pores of any body to this is added that the liquids of honey and milk are moved about in the mouth with a pleasant sensation to the tongue but on the contrary the bitter substance of wormwood and acrid centaury torment the palate with a disagreeable taste so that you may easily infer that those things which can affect the senses with pleasure consist of smooth and round particles but that on the other hand whatever things seem bitter and rough are held united together of particles more hooked and that on this account they are accustomed as it were to tear away to our feelings and to wound the skin of our body at their entrance furthermore all things which are pleasing to the senses and all which are to the touch unpleasant are opposed to each other being formed of atoms of a different shape that you may not perchance imagine that the sharp strider of the creaking saw consists of elements equally smooth with the melodious notes of music which musicians form upon the strings awaked as it were 
by their swiftly moving fingers, and that you may not suppose that atoms of like form penetrate the nostrils of men when they burn offensively smelling carcasses, and when the stage is freshly sprinkled with Sicilian saffron, and the altar, near at hand, exhales Pantian odours, nor conceive that pleasing colours which can feast the eye with delight, and those which are, as it were, pungent to the sight, and compel us to shed tears, or which seem ugly and hideous with a repulsive look, consist of like seminal atoms. For every object, whatever it be, that soothes the sense of the beholders, is not produced without some smoothness in its elements, but, on the contrary, whatever is of a disagreeable and rough consistence, has not been formed without something offensive in its material principles. There are some atoms also, which are neither justly thought to be smooth, nor altogether hooked with bent points, but rather to be furnished with small angles, slightly jutting out, and which have the power rather to titillate the sense than to wound it, of which kind of atoms consist pickle and the taste of elecampane. Moreover, that warm fire and cold frost penetrate the feelings of the body differently, as being composed of atoms pointed in different ways. The touch of each is a sufficient indication. For the touch, the touch, O sacred deities of heaven, is the sense of the body, and is affected either when something external insinuates itself through the pores, or when something which is generated in the body hurts or delights it in issuing forth, as in the genial exercises of Venus, or when the seeds, from striking against each other, raise a tumult in the body itself, and, by mutual agitation, confound the sense, as if, for example, you yourself should strike any part of your own body, and make trial of this sensation, for which reason forms of substance, which can excite various feelings, must necessarily be far different in their elementary principles. Further, those bodies that seem to us hard and dense, must necessarily consist of particles more locked with one another, and be held closely compacted, as it were, by branching atoms, among which kind of bodies, adamantine rocks, naturally adapted to despise blows, stand pre-eminently in the first rank, as well as stout flints, and the strength of hard iron, and brazen hinges, which, as they support the weight of their gates, make a loud grating sound. Those bodies, indeed, which are liquid and of a fluid substance, must consist more than harder bodies of smooth and round atoms, for a draught of poppy juice is even as yielding, and as much of a liquid as a draught of water. Since their several collections of particles are not held together rigidly among themselves, and their progress along a descent is voluble and easy, all things, moreover, which you should see scattered themselves in a short space of time, as smoke, clouds, and flames, must necessarily, if they do not wholly consist of smooth and round particles, yet not be bound together with complex ones, so that being as they are, they may have a pungent effect upon the body, and penetrate rocks, but cannot cohere together, a power which we all see to be granted to thorns. You may easily understand, therefore, 
that they do not consist of hooked and complicated, but of acute atoms. But that you should observe the same bodies, which are fluid, to be bitter, as is the liquid of the sea, is by no means to be wondered at by any one. For that which is fluid consists of smooth and round particles, and with these smooth and round particles are mixed pungent particles causing pain. Nor yet is it necessary that these atoms should hold themselves together by being hooked, for you may be certain that though the particles are rough, they are yet globose, so that they may flow among those of the liquid, though at the same time they may hurt the sense, and that you may the more certainly believe that rough are mixed with smooth particles, of both of which, for instance, the mass of the waters of the ocean consists, there is, I may mention, a method of separating them and considering them apart. The same water of the sea, for example, becomes sweet when it is often filtered through the earth, so that it may flow, as you may sometimes see, into a trench and thus lose its saltness. For it leaves above or near the surface of the earth the particles of bitter salt, which are rough and jagged, so that they may easily inhere in the earth. Which point, since I have now demonstrated, I shall proceed to join with it another proposition, which, depending on this, derives its credit from it, that the primary atoms of things vary in figure, but only with a limited number of shapes. If this were not so, some seminal principles would, moreover, necessarily be of an immense bulk of body. For this is evident, because within the same individual minute frame of any one seminal principle, the figures or arrangements of its parts cannot vary much among themselves. Since suppose that the primary principles consist of a certain definite number of very small parts, say three, or increase them if you please by a few more, assuredly when, after arranging all those parts, and altering the place of the highest and lowest parts of that one body, and changing the right for the left, you shall have tried in every way what representation of forms each arrangement of the whole of that body offers. If perchance you shall wish still further to vary its forms, you will have to add other parts, and from thence will follow in like manner that a third arrangement will require still more, if you shall wish by a third arrangement still to vary its forms. An increase in bulk, therefore, follows upon the variation of shapes, for which reason you cannot believe that seminal principles differ from one another by an infinite variety of shapes, lest by such a supposition you should make some to be of immense bulk, which I have already shown that it is not possible to prove. And, if such were the case, if the figures of atoms were infinite, barbaric garments, and shining meliboan purple, tinged with the dye of shellfish from Thessaly, as well as the golden brood of peacocks, painted with smiling beauty, would lose their estimation in your eyes, being thrown into the shade by the new beauty of fresh objects. The perfume of myrrh and the taste of honey would be despised, and the melodies of swans and the tunes of Phoebus, varied on the chords of the lyre, would in like manner be silenced as being outdone by something new. For, in every class of things, 
some new thing might arise more excellent than others which are now thought the best or all things might also fall back into a worse state as we have said that they might possibly rise to a better for in a retrograde order one thing might arise time after time more disagreeable than others preceding it to the nostrils ears and eyes and taste of the palate since this however is not so but a certain limit set to things in both directions as to what is bad and what is good confines the whole you must of necessity admit that the particles of matter also vary from one another only by shapes that are finite in number lastly a distance so to speak has been defined from the heat of summer to the freezing cold of winter and has been measured back from cold to heat in like manner for the whole year is or consists of heat and cold and the moderate warmths of spring and autumn lie between both the other two seasons filling up the whole in succession the seasons of spring and autumn therefore as made and appointed are kept distinct by a limited portion to each since they are marked on each side by two points and shut in on the one hand by heats and on the other side by rigid frosts since i have now proved this i shall proceed to join with it another observation which depending on this derives its credit from it that the primordial atoms of things which are formed of a like figure one to the other are infinite in number for since the diversity of their forms is finite it necessarily follows that those which are alike are infinite or it would appear that the sum of matter would be finite which i have proved to be impossible since i have shown this i will now give me your attention demonstrate in a few sweetly sounding verses that the atoms of matter support the whole of things from all eternity by a succession of movements on every side for though you see in any particular region certain animals to be more rare than others and observe nature in those less rare to be more productive yet in another region and district and in distant lands it is possible that there may be many animals of that kind and that the deficiency of their numbers in one place may be compensated in another just as we see in the race of quadrupeds to be especially the case with the snake-handed elephants with many thousands of which india is defended as with an ivory rampart so that it cannot be at all penetrated so great is the multitude of those beasts in that country but of which we see very few specimens among us but yet that i may if you wish grant this also let there be in your imagination any single creature you please existing alone with its own natural body and to which there may be no creature similar in the whole round of the earth yet unless the quality of the seeds of matter from which that creature may be formed and generated shall be infinite in number it will neither be possible for it to be produced nor moreover if it could be produced to grow up and be nourished for let your eyes conceive i e imagine that you see the generative atoms of any single thing being limited in number tossed about through the whole of space whence i ask where by what force and by what means will they meeting together 
unite amid so vast an ocean of matter and so mighty a confusion of dissimilar particles they have as i think no method of combining themselves but as when great and numerous shipwrecks have arisen the vast sea is wont to scatter abroad floating benches hollow fragments of vessels sail-yards prows masts and oars so that the ornaments of sterns may be seen swimming on all the coasts of the earth and may give admonition to mortals to resolve to avoid the treachery and violence and deceit of the faithless sea nor on any occasion to be too credulous when the insidious flattery of the calm deep smiles so if you in this case shall once settle for yourself that certain primordial atoms are finite in number you must then allow that the different agitations of matter will necessarily toss them about scattered as they will be forever so that they can at no time being driven together unite in combination or if they should unite remain in combination or swell with increase both of which effects manifest proof shows to occur before our eyes namely that things are produced and that when produced they have the power to increase it is therefore evident that in every class of beings the primordial elements of things from which all are supplied are infinite in number nor therefore inasmuch as original elements are infinite can the movements of things which are destructive to vital existence always prevail or bury its safety forever though neither on the other hand can motions productive of generation and increase always preserve things which have been formed thus a war of principles grown up from the infinite space of the past is carried on with equal strife the vital principles of things prevail sometimes in one place sometimes in another and are prevailed over in their turn the wail which infants raise when they come forth to view the regions of light is mixed with funeral lamentations nor has any night followed a day or any morning followed a night which has not heard groans the attendants of death and gloomy obsequies mixed with the weak cries of infants coming into the world end of section five